This summer we are entering into the sanctuary of our soul for the fourth summer in a year. The Psalms, we are learning what it means to be able to experience all the range of, the, of human emotions and yet to do so without sin. To know what it means to be angry yet without sin and know how to pray our anger. To know what it means to go through seasons of depression when it just seems like the room is closing in on us and there is no sunshine. How do you pray in the midst of depression? in a way that honors our king and moves us toward healing? How do you pray your joy? How do you pray your thankfulness? How do you pray when you've been wrong? These are the things that the Psalms teach us. Psalm 9 and 10 are historically, both for the Greeks and for the Romans, they are put together in the Psalter, Psalm 9 and Psalm 10, which is why some of you, when you look at old, old books on the Psalms, you start looking at Psalm 11, 12, and 13, and they're the wrong psalm. It's because they're following a Roman or Greek tradition of putting Psalm 9 and 10 together. But there are enough reasons why it's separate. And we look at them now in our scriptures as part of the 150 Psalms, separated out as they are. And today we're going to direct our attention to Psalm 10. If you're willing and able, would you stand to honor God's word as I read it for us? Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and opposition. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. He eyes, his eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in the thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. It's given to you in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Have you ever been abandoned? Have you ever been left alone? Perhaps some of you feel abandoned and left alone even now. To feel abandoned means to be left on your own without help. It means to go through an experience in which people feel undesired, left behind, insecure, discarded. To feel abandoned feels like you've been left in the wilderness of life to die. To feel abandoned is one of the worst psychological tortures that humans can experience. People experiencing emotional abandonment feel at loss. They feel disoriented. They feel cut off from a crucial source of sustenance that once held them together. Have you ever felt abandoned? Maybe even now. Just this week, police in Berlin announced that they had uh, found the results of um, the DNA tests for a little girl that they found abandoned earlier this fall. She'd been abandoned in Berlin, left. The police thought it was strange when they found this little girl because the detectives determined that clues at the scene where this girl was left linked her also to a girl that was abandoned in September of 2005. And was linked also with another little girl who was left in Berlin in 2017. And they announced in the news this week that the DNA tests came back. Sisters, all three left abandoned by their mothers. Have you ever felt abandoned? Some of you feel abandoned because things at work have changed so much. You feel like your boss hasn't heard you or listened to your cries for help. Some of you feel abandoned because you're in a new season of life. You're entering into retirement. Your rhythms are changing. You don't have the same routines that you once did. You're trying to find your footing again. Some of you feel abandoned because you're growing older and you're scared to death of death. Your body is changing. It's not what it once was. And you're scared of losing, quite literally, the use of your mind. Have you ever felt abandoned? Abandonment's a call and an experience that we all have as Christians. Abandonment is something that even David felt, the writer of Psalm 10, when he writes right off the cuff, Why, O oh God, have you abandoned me? And in the cry of his heart, he teaches us as Christians that one of the most powerful things that we can do is learn. Point number one, David teaches us. How to ask blunt questions. David begins in verse 1 of Psalm 10 asking a very blunt question. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why does it seem like you've deserted me in times of trouble? And then he goes on and he gives us the rationale for why he prays this way. And it makes total sense, doesn't it? Look what he says. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, verse 3. Verse 2, in the er- in arrogance, the wicked sweat to pursue the poor. They hotly pursue the poor. What a beautiful metaphor. They, like, they are sweating 
They are earnest to pursue the poor. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. Verse 4, all of his ways, his ways prosper at all times, according to his thinking. He says in his heart, verse 6, I shall not be moved. That's his creed throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. The wicked are the ones out there making a buck. We're the ones slaving away at work. And we're the Christians. Like, we're operating by integrity. And this other guy is killing it economically. He's not a man of integrity. Lord, why do you stand so far off? When it seems that I am doing everything for you. And I feel so abandoned by it. Some of us know what it's like to feel abandoned. You felt abandoned by your own father. Your family is in the midst of transition yourself. And you feel abandoned by your parents who love you. And it's hard. And sometimes that abandonment that you experience in relationships begins to trickle down so that it becomes not just a horizontal abandonment, but it becomes a real vertical abandonment too, doesn't it? So that you cry out to the Lord, why have you abandoned me? One of the privileges of being your pastor and being a pastor is that there's a lot of things that you tell me that are just between us and Jesus. And so... Quite honestly, when I prepare sermons, I have to really be careful of the way that I share stories. And I do so in a way that is general enough for people outside of our church because we know each other. And I can't get too specific with my stories. But as I listen as a pastor to the trauma and to the trials of your life, frankly, to have that privilege is an unspeakably beautiful and hard thing because it is crushing to week after week begin to hear of the trials and the trauma that you're going through. But you want to know something? I know a secret. Nobody is able to handle that on their own. Not a pastor. No one. But the secret is that I've heard enough of your stories through the years that in the midst of you feeling like you're in the wilderness and that when you're alone, when you're at the end of your rope, you don't know a secret? That's when God begins to work. And in the trauma and in the despair and in the crippling burdens that you share and that I then take on with you, that is when God is so often at work. And so for those of you this morning who feel abandoned, I want to just challenge you to follow David's lead and to learn to ask blunt questions. Because when we ask God blunt, direct questions, we are not offending God. We are actually expressing our deepest faith because we are going to the one who is the source of our life, who can handle the bluntest of questions. And when we call God into action... We are not trying to be his boss. No, we are simply doing what he's called us to do, to call him to fulfill his promises now and forevermore. When we ask God direct questions, we are expressing our deepest faith. And when we call God into action, we are expressing our deepest hope. Some of you need to ask blunt questions this morning. And some of you need to not feel afraid to ask him those questions. You know, the Israelites back in Exodus chapter 16, you remember when um, 
the great redemption story of the whole of the Old Testament when Israel was taken out of Egypt and they were set in the wilderness. Do you remember what they said? Smack dab in the wilderness. What do we do now? They felt abandoned by God. And in Exodus chapter 16, it said, They set out from Elim, all the generations of the people of Israel, and they came into the wilderness. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out here into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Any of you feel abandoned? You're in good company. The whole of the story of Israel is about a people who felt abandoned in Egypt. And then they prayed and cried out to God. And he heard their cry and he miraculously delivered them through the Red Sea. But he put them where? Smack dab in the middle of the wilderness where they thought they were going to die. And what did he do for them? Later in Exodus 16, it says that he says, I'm going to rain bread on you. And I'm going to give you your daily bread once a day. And they said, oh, God, that's not enough. And they grumbled against the Lord again, and they collected more than a day's worth. And the Lord didn't withhold his grace from them. He gave them more. He fed them. And he didn't just feed them for a day or for a week or for a year. He fed them manna from heaven for 40 years. You think your menu is limited when you're in the kitchen. They're eating this bread like coriander seed for 40 years. And the pattern all throughout the Old Testament is that the Lord delivers his people and then they grumble because they feel like they're in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, every time, God is the one who acts. And they begin to ask him blunt questions and God brings them to the end of themselves where they are able to cry out like David here does. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? And it's in the wilderness that the Lord knows all too well how he works in the life of his people. It's been this way all throughout church history. One of the great leaders of the church, of course, was St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a man who grew up in a very religious home. He wasn't a Christian. He grew up as a typical uh, a Roman citizen might have on the western shores of Africa. Well-educated. Education was his life. And even St. Augustine, after he became a Christian, wrote in his confessions this. He said, O oh God, my hope from my youth, where were you all this time? Where had you gone? For was it not you who created me and distinguished me from the beasts of the field and made me wiser than the birds of the air? Yet I walked through dark and slippery places, and I went out in search for you and did not find the God of my heart. I had come into the depths of the sea, and I had lost faith and all hope of discovering the truth. One of the most widely respected observers of the modern world, Alexis de Tocqueville, remembered an incident in his own youth as the Frenchman came over to the U.S. and observed the new world. And Alexis de Tocqueville said this. He said that my life had passed enveloped in faith that hadn't allowed doubt to penetrate into my soul. And then doubt entered, or rather than entered, it hurtled in with an incredible violence, not only doubt about one thing or another in particular, but an all-embracing doubt. I was seized by the blackest melancholy, then by an extreme disgust with life, and I was almost knocked flat by the terror of the sight of the road that remained for me to travel in this world. 
I see the world of ideas revolving, and I am lost and bewildered in the universal emotion that upsets and shakes all the truth on which I base my beliefs and my actions. Friends, to feel abandoned and feel cut off from God is not something that you alone experience. One of the greatest missionaries in the modern world, his name was David Brainerd. He died when he was 29. He was a missionary that Jonathan Edwards saw ministering to the Conic, uh, the Conic Indians in Massachusetts. And Edwards said that this is perhaps the greatest example of what it means to be a Christian in the world. 240 years ago, the most popular book out there was a diary of a missionary named David Brainerd. Who would have thought? But it sold like crazy, and people loved to read his diary because it was so fiercely honest. He said about the end of August in 1739, I felt the great darkness. It assumed as if the presence of God was clean, gone forever, quoting Psalm 77. Though I was not much distressed about my spiritual state, as I was to be shut out from God's presence, as I then sensibly was, but it pleased the Lord to return again graciously to me not long after. Blunt questions, blunt experiences. Let me ask you a question. You have a person who comes to faith in Jesus, and they begin to have the life they've always wanted and dreamt. Their family stays together. There's no struggles in their life. They never have trials in their family. They never have trials at work. Their friendships flourish. Their children grow up to love Jesus and cherish Him forever. Their lives are incredibly intact. It's wonderful. They come and they sing and they hear sermons on depression. And they think, what is going on? This sounds so morbid. Keep that person in mind. Or you have another person who comes to faith in Christ who thinks, now I understand what it's like to be broken by sin and to have somebody bring me out of my darkness into covenantal love forever. And they go and they live their life and they find that not too long after they live their life that their life in Christ begins to grow rather dim and they feel like they didn't really know themselves and they come and learn themselves better and better as the Lord brings them through trials and challenges them at work and their children don't act the way they expected them to. Their husbands or their wives are not faithful to them, that they have to ask deep and hard questions in their life and they struggle and they need the community to come around them to help shelter them from the storm and to pray for them and yearn for them. And they read Psalm chapter 10 and they go, yes, finally somebody who can share my pain. Which of those two people is a more common representation of a Christian in today's world? I pray that every one of us have the experience of person A, but we all know that experience B is what most of us experience. Life is messy and it's hard, and being in Christ only helps you understand the brokenness of the world ever more clearly, which is what happens with David when he prays. He asks this blunt question, and then immediately he gives his rationale for why he's praying this, and he has clear vision, point number two. He doesn't just ask blunt questions, but his vision becomes clearer, even as it did for Augustine, even as it did for Alexei de Tocqueville, even as it did for David Brainerd, because he's able to see the people who just seem to flourish. And he says, Lord, let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All of his thoughts are, there is no God. 
Verse 5, his ways seem to prosper at our times, but your judgments are high. They're out of his sight. As for all of his foes, he puffs at them. And he says, throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. But David knows that even as he's asking the Lord to show himself, and he's reflecting on all of these people who seem to be getting away with wrongdoing, David knows that behind all their actions is a hollowness and a longing for God that they themselves don't even recognize. And even as David prays in Psalm 10, notice that his theology gets clarified. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed and sink down. They fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. The more that David begins to describe this person or this group of people or this individual, the more David sees the consequences of the actions becoming clearer to him, that this person is a murderer, that though he may seem to prosper, the consequences of his actions are overwhelming, and one day they will do him in. Blunt questions actually clarify our theology, not distort it. Because they help us at the end of our rope in the midst of the wilderness come to a God who's able to hear our questions. And he's able to respond to us with his nearness and his grace. And he does that time after time after time again. Throughout all the Old Testament, in into the new, and today. Do you feel abandoned? Pray Psalm 10. Allow it to become the cry of your heart and allow your theology to be clarified. Let me stay on this just for a moment so that I know that you understand what I mean when I say his theology is clarified. David begins in verse uh, 8 and 9 describing what happens when this man gets his way. He sits in ambush in the villages, but he is murdering the innocent. He eyes, his eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks like a lion in the thicket. He is like a poor, drawing the poor into his net. This man is not a man who's thriving. This man is a man who is scared to death, and he's manipulating, he's hiding, he's hunting people down in his superiority so that he'll feel built up about himself. He's an atheist. He says there is no God. And he's convinced himself, if he had any faith at all, that God has forgotten, that he has hidden his face, that God will never see these things that I do. Blunt questions lead us to have clearer theology, which leads us to verse 12. David switches from asking blunt questions to sizing up his particular situation to seeing the creed and the behavior of the man of terror of the earth to crying out himself. And he shows us the cry of the godly, point number three. Blunt questions, clear theology, a clearer vision, and the cry of the ungodly. And David says, why, O Lord, do you stand far away in verse 1? And then in verse 12, he calls him to account. Arise, O Lord, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say, his, say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. 
Notice David is crying out. What does he cry out? He cries out, number one, for God, for your glory to be made known. Rise up. Let your glory be made known throughout all the earth, Father. I live in a sea of injustice. They're everywhere. Lord, I see it. Help the injustice that I see, not to weigh me down as a Christian, but help me to cry out to you. Let your glory be known. What are you waiting for? Stand up. Isaiah 51.5 says, My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Arise, O Lord. Lift up your name. Not only for your glory's sake, but David cries for God to fulfill his promises. He says, forget not the afflicted. God promises earlier, we saw last week in Psalm 9, he who avenges the blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Well then, don't forget it. Show up. He said to Noah in Genesis chapter 9 that I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. Lord, you've shown yourself to be true to that. The waters of the earth haven't covered the entirety of the earth yet again. Keep going. You said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Leviticus 26 that I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember the land. You say in Jeremiah 31, no longer will each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We'll bring it on, God. Ezekiel 16, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Great! Let's see it! Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. But it seems like you have! Show us that you're faithful to your covenant promises. Do you know that that is a good way to pray? It is not sinful to call God to fulfill his promises. It is okay to ask the Lord to do so. That's what the psalmist does. That's what David does. You do see, you do know mischief and, vaca- uh, and vexation, and vacation, and vexation, and you may take it into your hands to the helpless. You commit yourself. Break the arm of the wicked. That's not saying I want them to fall out of a tree. That's saying that I want you to so take away their power with which they spread injustice in the world so that they're no longer to shut down the glory that's due your name. That they're no longer able to convince young Christians that you're not faithful to your covenant promises. Break the arm of the wicked, O Lord, so that your name and your renown can become the desire of our soul and we can point to demonstrations of how that's true. But he goes on, he says, Lord, I want you to be the king to protect and defend me. Verse 16 says, the Lord is king forever and ever. All nations perish from his land. Oh, Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. You will do justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Have you ever been abandoned? Do you feel abandoned even now? 
It is in the wilderness when the Lord shows himself to us. It is in the wilderness when he clarifies our theology. He puts us into a corner, brings us to the end of the rope so that we're able to ask him blunt questions, which some of you should be asking. It is a show of our faith to ask him hard questions. He clarifies your theology in asking those kinds of questions as you seek his word, as you ask for your brothers and sisters to come alongside you and pray. And not only does he clarify your theology, but he helps you to cry out to him. For that is what he desires. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone, for my help comes from him. He alone is my help and my fortress. I will not be shaken. I don't know how the Lord's going to resolve the abandonment that you feel. Some of you have struggled with abandonment since you were little children, and it's horrifying. I know a little bit of what that's like. The fear of abandonment is a deep, deep fear. And isn't it wonderful that the Lord has given you an entire story of a people who have been brought out of abandonment into a home? And after the Berlin police announced this week that they discovered that these three little girls were sisters, they then announced that these three little girls had been placed back together in a family in Berlin who are Christians. Of course, they didn't say that, but we know that they are from other sources who said, we want these little girls to raise them, to remind them of the gospel story that they have not been abandoned. And we see in the demonstration of this German couple taking these three abandoned little girls into their own home, our own story, don't we? Where Christ himself, our great parent, didn't leave us abandoned, but he left his father's side and he came down to earth. He lived a life that we could not live and he died a death that we should have died. And Jesus Christ called his father by his tender name, his entire life, Father. And Jesus Christ was the one who was here, but the world was not his home. He came alone. He deserved credit, but no one offered it. He wiped sweaty sawdust from his forehead in the shade of a rugged Jewish carpentry shop, his young adult life. He did so before he entered the arena of public rejection and shame as a prophet. He loved something else more than this world, so he loved even this world more than those who know no other. He healed the blind. He stabilized the depressed. He invested into the poor. He liberated the prisoner. He comforted the broken. Jesus loved the sinner. He raised the dead. He graced the faithless. He cleansed the filthy. He heard the forgotten. He welcomed the prodigal. He had a very simple message that was not simplistic. Believe in me. Lay down your self-righteousnesses and take up my righteousness. It is your only hope. He advocated a very simple job description. Come follow me. He was falsely convicted. He was murdered. He lobbied for self-denial in this world only to, be, only to cultivate a great hope in our hearts for the next. He suffered an excruciating death outside of a bustling city. Few people stopped. Fewer felt remorse. And three days later, 16 Roman soldiers laid bedazzled at an empty tomb, an open grave. Fifty days later, his Holy Spirit rested upon his disciples, 
in celebration that 10 days prior he had ascended before his people into the clouds, reigning victorious. History has never been the same. Jesus always called his father, Father, except one time when he sat or hung, I should say, on the cross in excruciating pain, and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there on the cross, your Savior felt abandoned. And therefore, we take great hope because he knows what it's like when you feel abandoned too. Jesus was abandoned so that you don't have to ever feel abandoned forever. And he brings you through seasons of abandonment when you will learn how to pray as you should with blunt questions, with clearer theology as a result of that, and that you would cry from your heart the cry of the ungodly. Let your glory be known, Father. Rid the world of injustice. Oh, Father, would you break the arms of the wicked who hold power so that they may not, may no more catch the poor in their nets. Would you show yourself to be the king? Would you show yourself to be the one who is faithful to your covenant promises? Can you pray like that? He strengthens our hearts. He hears our desires. He will seek to destroy evil and injustice, now in part, but at one day when he comes again forever. Isn't that good news? Psalm 10 is our psalm. And when Paul is ransacking with his, with his thinking as he's writing Romans chapter 3, do you know what he says? In Romans chapter 3, Paul is trying to think, now how do I articulate, how do I describe how we all struggle with sin. And he says in verse 14, the venom of asps is under their lips. He's describing all of us, the mouth. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. He's just ransacking the Psalms, and there it is. He quotes Psalm 10. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He's quoting the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. The Apostle Paul is saying that the person that David is praying against in chapter 10 is all of us. We are the one with mischief under our tongue. We are the one who in subtle ways are putting down the poor so that we may be raised up in our own righteousness. And Jesus, the one who has been abandoned for us, is hanging on the cross. Eyes full of tears for you. Reminding you that even as you pray Psalm 10, the way you have clearer theology is recognizing that you are capable of everything that David prays against. And you are the man of terror, that you may strike terror in the land no more. And it is Christ, the one who was abandoned, who delivers you from all of your enemies and helps you understand your heart better so that you be able, you're able to see the amazing good news that Jesus Christ died a death for sinners like you and me. And that he's able to give you the power to say, oh, Lord, why have you abandoned me? And Jesus says, oh, I know it feels like that, friend. But I'm with you. I'm not on that cross anymore. I've been raised. And I'm at the Father's right hand. And though I am sitting, I tell you what? I am risen. Arise, O oh Lord. Why do you stand far off? And Jesus says to me, I'm near. Do you see him? Do you know how much he loves you? If you're in the wilderness, oh, would you come to the manna of the Lord's table this morning? And would you pray with blunt questions? Would you allow him to shape your theology again, to show you the depth of your own sin, 
and to allow you to recognize the nearness of your Savior. And would you cry out in your heart, Oh, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner, and come again to rescue me from this wilderness that it appears that I'm in. Let's pray together. Father, would you teach us to not only read the Psalms, but to pray them, to make them our own. Would you help us to ask blunt questions? For those of us who are in the wilderness, who feel like we are in the desert left to die, would you draw near to us? And Lord, clarify our theology, if you will, but we want you to rescue us from the wilderness. Rise up, O King. Break the arm of the evildoer and show us your nearness even now, O Father. We pray that you'll draw near to us as we come to this table and we'll do so in joy, knowing that you have not abandoned us, but you, Lord Christ, were abandoned so that in our seasons of abandonment, you would remind us that we have not been rejected or left, but you cover us like a mother hen covers her chicks. Protect us, we pray. Strengthen us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.